0: listening to Chaos on the Set, a chaotic TV and film review podcast. Today we are covering the most recent and potentially final season of Ted Lasso. You have your usual crew here with you today. I'm Shrithi. I'm Mike. I'm Kate. And we also have a repeat guest joining us, a blood-related guest uh, who you've heard before on our House of the Dragon podcast, uh, a Succession Season 3 wrap-up podcast, and now she's here to wrap up Ted Lasso Season 3 with us. Shreya, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. I think the best way for us to get into the season is just start off with general reactions. We have a generic outline. We will touch on the most important topics. Uh, Keely and Rebecca and Nate and all of their character arcs more towards the end, mainly because we feel like that stuff has been discussed a lot. But off the bat, would love to know how did y'all respond to this season. Are you as negative as I feel like I am? We're going to try and inject as much positivity into the podcast as Ted Lasso would want us to. But how did you guys feel?
1: Can I just say first, it it feels like I haven't done this in like three months. It's been a while.
0: I don't think you have. I mean, I I, I think three
1: months is extreme, but I think Mario was was, maybe the last one that I was on. I'm turning. You know, Joel Anderson, who –
0: is one of the producers of the most recent Slow Burn series on Becoming Justice Thomas, um, is also on Hang Up and Listen, and he it's his first podcast back this week for a while. So you're basically Joel Anderson, Mike. How does that feel?
1: I mean, I don't know who that is, but it sounds like a compliment, <laughs> so I'll take it. He,
0: it's a huge compliment.
1: Okay, sweet. Love it. Um, But yeah, I, I would say I'm like right in the middle of Fandom for this season Of Ted Lasso which probably Means that I'll probably be the most Positive person on this podcast (laughs) Um I didn't love It 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 probably Was my least Favorite of the Three seasons but I also wasn't like Super negative on It at the same time You know it just it turned into something That I watched Every single week and It was just like a easygoing show I, I wasn't upset by it i did like the finale um but i, I don't have super strong feelings either way
0: Kate,
2: um <laughs> yeah i was very frustrated by this season and i think it's it's kind of funny how frustrated i was because if you remember when we recorded ted lasso season two which was october 2021 so quite a long time ago um i I felt like I was up against the wall defending that season <laughs> um, against both of you guys a lot, and the things that I staunchly defended the show for in season two, I just like couldn't. I I just couldn't find those like those things that I found like made the show once amazing. I couldn't find it anymore in this season. It i really struggled especially with the week-to-week viewing i do think if i had binged it i maybe would have been a little more positive positive. and i just think that just stems from the fact that ted lasso seems to be like a better binge show not a great week-to-week show with the writing
0: I, I i just want to clarify that my interpretation of what you just said is it's just a worse show like if a show is better as a binge that just means it's worse written in my opinion right like If you cannot stand the test of an audience watching your show and then thinking about that episode for a week instead of running into the next episode, the writing is just Mm. going to be worse, you know? I mean, it's like uh, the discussions we've had about Stranger Things where like – people don't really think about the lore because you're just kind of, like, very yeah. into it. And it's fun. Like, I love binging Stranger Things, but I don't think Stranger Things would work on a week-to-week level. It doesn't seed enough in, and it doesn't do the work to do that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: see, I, I don't... I mean, granted, I haven't binged it, so I can't say with certainty. But this season, to me, felt like, yeah, there were there were some character arcs, obviously, and I think it would be interesting to see those play out maybe throughout a binge but to me a lot of these episodes felt very separate from each other despite their overarching stories just because i don't know every episode it felt like oh what what is the issue of the week what are yeah what is what world yeah divisive issue are they going to cover and put their happy-go-lucky spin on um, that's that's what it felt like. and honestly, I, I didn't hate that f- in some degree because I think it's okay to be like a show that that idealizes things and and tries to put things right in the world, even if it's not the most realistic or the most um entertaining thing.
0: I think another issue with binging this season is that the episodes were so much longer, which would make it, Kind of difficult to get through, um, so many episodes one after another. I I think that the each episode, they they did try to tackle some issues like you're referring to, Mike. But to me, each episode felt so nebulous and didn't have anything that I was clinging to, any story that I was trying to tell. Um, and binging the show, where I think this season kind of had a lot of characters that were going along arcs that were not completely clear and had a lot of gaps in their stories binging it would almost feel like more confusing to me because there were so many pieces missing I think that was my overall take from this season of Ted Lasso is that there were a lot of holes missing uh, to the point where when the Richmond players go to Nate's restaurant to welcome him back at the beginning of an episode. I said to Shruti, Oh, wait, we missed an episode when she started playing it. I kept because kept saying I that was, every week. I was so sure I was missing something that happened in the story to make us have, make the Richmond players again have all this empathy for Nate. The amount of critical scenes they used, to, they chose to keep off camera is astounding. Nate quitting yep. West Ham, Ted telling Rebecca that he's leaving. Like, all of these things, it's just frustrating to me because it feels lazy. I'm not saying these writers are lazy, mm-hmm. but it just feels like, oh, that is a difficult scene to write. Let's just pretend it happened and deal with the aftermath. Like, no, let's watch that happen.
2: Yeah, I actually have a, a list. So it's, it's Keely and War. This is all off camera. Keely and Roy breaking up and then getting back together, a.k.a. like sleeping together, but then not really getting back together. I don't know. Um, Nate quitting his job as manager of West Ham. The Richmond team agreeing to ask Nate to come back to Richmond. Ted telling Rebecca he's going back to the U.S. And then Ted telling the squad he's going back to the U.S. All of these, what I think are monumental character development, like climactic points in their stories We're off screen and I just don't get it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an astonishing list. It's it's kind of unbelievable that they made all of those decisions. I famously don't really mind filling in the blanks for a story um, if that story is well told. So like for the Marvel fans out there, I I don't think that Marvel did anything to let us believe that Cap and Peggy are acting. Actually, in love with each other, like their relationship is pretty short. Um, but future installments of Captain America movies are better be- if you believe that they are truly in love with them, with each other. So I'll fill in the blanks, you know. Yeah. Similarly, like Desmond and Penny storyline in Lost. If anybody has seen Lost, I-, I totally don't mind filling in the blanks if they're working towards something meaningful. But here it seems like they just skipped important scenes. And I'm unclear what purpose they did that for, considering they still had hour-long run times <laughs> yes. for most episodes with baffling scenes between characters that didn't seem to serve so much of a purpose for me. For example, Rebecca and her weird Dutchman My- friend. Oh, I like Fuck that. We'll get into Rebecca later. I, should we pivot to the, the real-world analogies that Ted Lasso has created this season? Sure. Any, well does anyone else Want to say anything About the skips This isn't skip related But I guess just An um, overall comment Before we get more granular Is I felt like Like I felt like this A little bit in season 2 But season 2 Had a little bit more Structure and arc to it That I didn't I feel as frustrated But both season 2 And season 3 Almost felt like Ted Lasso fan fiction In the sense that like Season one of Ted Lasso builds an arc of, like, kindness and believing and all of that Mm. that you really, really cling to and is executed well. And then they try to just keep doing the same, be a goldfish, be nice, like, setting up characters to give these, like, monumental monologue speeches, which don't really land. Like, when Rebecca is telling, yells at Roy to, like, start getting out of his way, like, that's just a random monologue that she gives and hannah waddingham is amazing and i still enjoyed watching her do that but it just felt like oh let's give her a speech or the weirdest one i think to me is when ted starts giving a speech about belief and hope when they're talking about the belief sign being ripped in half and like they overlay that with nate and jade eating their breadsticks and bonding for the first time and like jack and keely hooking up for the first time all over ted talking about believing like it just doesn't work it's trying to be inspirational but it just like comes across as like badly written fan fiction to me yeah i think that actually reminds me of something my old roommate ishan said shout out to ishan thanks for listening to the podcast um he said sorry sorry to out your text he said season three wasn't even as good as the others but loved the characters too much and i think that's like a perfect description of it is that because season one was so good and because we've established great emotional connections to these characters we can still like cry about certain things in the oh, finale yeah. that were beautiful but we're doing so much work for them and i'm and i'm not sure that they deserve it if they're not going to give us any scenes of meaning.
2: Yeah, I'll admit, like, I did, like, openly cry uh, a lot in the finale. Not a lot, but when they montaged and, like, the last um, conversation of Ted and Rebecca in the airport, like, that made me cry. I think I was half crying of... Yeah,
1: but you cried everything.
2: (laughs) I cry everything. Yes, true. But I think I was half crying over, like, oh, their relationship... Like, I I do care about these characters, but I think half of the other reason why I was crying was I was, like, mourning what could have been. (laughs) Like, there was so much more they could have done with so many of these relationships, whether it be romantic or platonic. And I just feel like it was so
0: clumsily executed this whole season that, I don't know. And it doesn't even feel like with the character arcs, Like again I agree The characters are really strong And so we're sad That the arcs didn't work But even with the jokes Like there's a Shrey and I were rewatching The International Break episode Last Mm -hmm. night To prep for the podcast And there's about A 90 second sequence Where Roy walks in Wearing his tie-dye Shirt And the whole joke Is people reacting To that shirt Which is funny because the show has done the work of creating this character that is like so not the kind of guy that wears a tie-dye shirt like he wears black Mm -hmm. (laughs) t-shirts yeah and now he's wearing color how hilarious but that joke goes on way too long long. you see random people reacting to it you see Trent react to it you see beard and ted and it's just like you see him take off the shirt you see him drive away you see him drive back you see him pick up this is where
2: i have a problem with i think the writers just got a little confused and turned around over what to prioritize with all the time that they were given for this season because, boy, were these episodes so ridiculously long. And it's just like...
1: I liked that they were long. Well, I mean,
2: I don't mind they were long, but if they had filled it with substance and stuff that I actually cared about, I would have been fine watching an hour and 10-minute episode.
0: Yeah, if they didn't merit its runtime. Like, I'm usually a time cop when it comes to things. I prefer... All things to be under two hours and eleven minutes, the runtime of Top Gun Maverick, and if oh you're going God. over two hours and eleven minutes, you need to have a reason. This is the four movies. Everything I mean, ever all at once makes well good use of its runtime, but and so does Spider-Man. See, across that the just Spider-Man, tells me, me that you
1: haven't watched the Lord of the Rings extended edition nearly enough times. I
0: haven't watched the regular Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> Okay, We can
3: <laughs> And that is second. get her off the podcast. No, I, was
0: <laughs> I watched the first one. Oh.
2: Because we went to New Zealand. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. I can't believe that uh... Shreya got to see the Hobbit holes before I did.
1: I know, Kate. (gasps) This is fun. (laughs) All
0: right, let's get back to Lasso. No, it's funny. Um, All right, so let's get into how these the world of Ted Lasso parallels our real world. There's two different things that uh, Ted Lasso did this season that kind of had a parallel to something that has happened in real life. One is the introduction of the zava character which to me felt very random he just kind of comes and goes uh and also what bothered me about him is like they changed their whole play strategy around zava to make him the star of the show which is what ted lasso was absolutely anti-doing in season one with jamie so like what changed it just felt like going completely against his ted Lassoisms again but, uh, Mike, I would love to know from you how you felt about Zava because I know he's based off of a player that you love.
1: Yes, he's based off of Zlatan Ibrahimović, um, <laughs> who actually just retired yesterday, believe it or not. He, he retired from AC.
0: To go tend to his avocado farm? No,
1: but I saw that joke on Twitter. People are like, is he going <laughs> to open up an avocado farm? Um, no, it's a very emotional retirement. He he retired from AC Milan, which is my favorite team ever. Um and you know, I, I loved when they introduced Zava as a character because of his his resemblance to Zlatan. And in, in a lot of things I hit I think they hit the nail on the head uh perfectly. That being said, um I agree, I don't think it really played too much of a point. I think it was a more drawn-out cameo, essentially, right? Like, throughout this entire season, there have been a bunch of little cameos, little moments where they're like, we are going to model some plot line in this show about reality, right? And we're even going to introduce real-life soccer icons, right? Whether it's Pep Guardiola the the coach of Manchester City like that was a huge cameo for them to get the ref no the coach
0: no but also oh the the ref
1: ref, yes also the ref um (laughs) I thought you were asking if I don't know I thought you were asking if Pep Guardiola (laughs) was the ref um
0: maybe one day yeah (laughs) go from coach to ref but
1: even in the last episode they had um Thierry Henry. It, uh, the pundit uh former one of the best players ever so they right there's all these moments throughout the season where i think they're including these real life examples that we'll get to the super league that is another one that was an episode um but the zava thing was a little bit more drawn out i don't think it served a purpose but i think it, it lasted an appropriate amount of time at least like at least he came and went you know and i can it's early in the season it's like I almost forget it even happened up until they mentioned in the finale. Like, had it been a, a season-long character, I think it, it may have been um, a bit of a, a mistake. But, I, I mean, I can talk about all of the similarities and everything, but, Kate, I'll let you uh, jump in here first.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, fun fact, the actor who plays Zava is a Syracuse University alumni, so go, go SU, go, Go, Orange. Um, sorry, Shreya, that you're excluded from this um, <laughs> excitement. And I just think, like, I know you said, well, at least it wasn't, like, a season-long thing. I don't even remember that he was even on the show. And it's like, that's the problem. Like, why was yeah. this character who, in the end, meant nothing? Like, why was he able to come in and get the screen time that he got to begin with? Like, he had a whole episode named after him, you know? And yeah. I just think, like... I think he just took screen time away from what could have been given to the team, naturally figuring out their own shit together without having to rely on this external character to come in, shake things up a little bit and then leave.
3: Yeah, I guess I guess my thing with Ted
1: Lasso is like, I just don't I've never taken it that seriously right like i i think it's for me it's just been
3: no i don't take i
1: don't take it seriously it's
0: like oh you just don't respect the show
1: (laughs) no i don't i don't take it seriously in the sense that like i don't know being a big soccer fan the show's ridiculous it is yeah the most ridiculous thing yeah i know it's ridiculous
2: but they gave so much care and attention to these characters and i know and i I love that it's a
1: feel-good show like that's what i enjoy about it but And
2: yeah I mean, like, I don't... I, my issue is just literally with, like, the fact that there were so many story arcs and potential that they had and that were they've been setting up since season one, and I think they just, like, let a lot of them go in favor of, like, let's bring in this new guy named Zava, and he's crazy, and then he's gonna leave and start an avocado farm, and you'll never hear from him again until the finale when he sends in a giant avocado to the team.
1: Yeah. Like... I mean, not that It's, it's just, like... I don't know. Not that it's the same thing, but it reminds me of when they brought Will Ferrell onto the office, and people hated it. And I personally love it. I think it's—I think I mean, it was fantastic. I know
0: I, I, I'm not a big Will Ferrell fan. Oh, crazy! <laughs> but- <laughs> one thing that te- one thing that Joanna Robinson said is, "Well, she said I don't understand what's going on with Ted Lasso this season. The story is just kind of oozing out everywhere." I also heard that they threw out two thirds of the season and had to reshoot it again in parentheses, it was supposed to come out last fall, which would explain things like Rupert and Zava not fully – sorry, which would explain things like Rupert and Zava fully disappearing from the plot, but it would not explain the second pass – why the second pass is this messy. I think that, like, it's okay for them not to take everything so seriously and for Zava not to be, like, a critical character in the storyline and just be, like, a fun – reference to this real soccer player I think the issue is then it gets to the point in like what is the story you're telling and like what parts of it are we supposed to take seriously if so much of it feels kind of thrown in there yeah and Miles McNutt responded to this tweet that Joanna said saying The reports about Sudeikis's quote-unquote perfectionism and delays have been in my mind, but maybe they only muddle things further. And I remember reading an article that came out around the time Don't Worry Darling came out last year about how Jason Sudeikis isn't innocent either, and he's being kind of annoying on the Ted Lasso set, like making them redo all of these things. Who knows how real all of that is, or if it was just, you know, playing more into this Don't Worry Darling drama for clicks, but... I think there was a lot there where, you know, Jason Sudeikis was like, I'm going to do this for a three-season thing, and they wanted the final season to do all of the things. They wanted to do every single storyline that they wanted to address over the course of however many seasons the show would be in three seasons, and it really suffered for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the one thing that I, I do take away from the Zava storyline, and I don't know if it's intentional or not, and I also don't know if it fully – gets across the point but for me what it sort of signifies is more uh on the side of advancing the plot of the soccer team itself right because i i think ted i think ted lasso is two very different right i i think there's two sort of plots to it is like all of these people as individuals but then also just like the team itself right whether it's them getting relegated in the first season and then winning promotion back and like to me what zava represented this being this player that is bigger than the club itself is that they are they are fighting for the top they are fighting to win the league it's 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 a signal of them taking that next step and i do think that uh, I think that borders reality, right, in in terms of how it relates back to Zlatan Ibrahimović. So, right, he's one of the best players ever. Uh, Really, he's been on the scene for the last 20 years, um, right alongside, not quite on the same level as Ronaldo and Messi, but he's like, he's next in line, essentially. Um, And he formerly played at Milan back in like the early 2010s and then bounced around with some various other European teams. He went to PSG. He went to Man U. Um, he famously did a stint out at LA, LAFC. Ooh, and,
0: wait, really? Yeah. Oh, he was- yeah. He
1: went and he, and so the, his thing is he has a God complex, right? Like he refers to him as God himself as God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yesterday during his retirement speech, the, the away fans were booing him. And he he literally said, Keep booing. Uh he's like, This is the luckiest you've been in your life to see me live or whatever. Oh he like God. his quotes his quotes are ridiculous. He literally went to the MLS and said, I'm the best player in this league, bar not.
0: Was he on the team when they won?
1: When and when LA won? Yeah. I can't remember, to be honest. Last year. No. It would okay. No. Um and so he left LA to go back to Milan, and um, Milan for the last, he won the league with Milan 10 plus years ago, and then for the last 10 years, ever since he left, they've been like awful, historically bad, worse than they're accustomed to, they're supposed to be one of the best teams in Italy, they were playing really poorly, and, and I credit him really with like single-handedly turning that team around, he went to Milan Um, changed the mentality of these young and experienced players to the mentality of of winners. And the very next season, they won the league, uh, largely in part, I think, to to his leadership. So um, it is a story that borders – Reality, I think. Okay,
2: and I like, I appreciate that you as a soccer fan can like relate to all of that. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people who watch Ed Lasso don't watch soccer. Like, I know me, I don't. Shirley doesn't. I don't think Shreya does. Shreya's more into basketball. Hey, I watch Angel but, like, City. My thing is, like, you know, <laughs> like, okay, like, yes, it's fun that they took a real life player and they were like, let's kind of take those attributes and make a character like that. But, like, you say, oh, he, you know, he turned the team into, like, winners, so it advanced the plot forward. Like, what did he
0: teach the other players of Richmond? I would, like, love to know what he taught them. I don't know if it's teaching, but an interpretation I did read is just, like, The way the season was set up for Richmond to finish last and all of that, they kind of needed a Zava-level player to get Richmond in the place at the finale to have enough wins. And so it wouldn't really make sense that they're like, and now they're good now, so they just brought in Zava to give them some wins and get to the arc of the Championship League, Premier League thing that they That actually makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. to
2: me. But then after Zava leaves... Like Jamie is like their ace again and Jamie's the one carrying the team. So also
0: he does he does motivate Jamie to wanna do like four practices a day. It's true, I guess. It's just like coming around on him a little bit.
1: Another And that's the thing with with Slatan, right? Like he he contributed a lot on the field but he was also he's old. he he just retired, he's forty one. He was injured like half the season. So like they had to learn to win without him as well. Like it was really I a just, mentality thing more than you know anything what though. Else.
2: I might my brain might be like rejecting Zaba because at the time of like Zaba's intro, we also have like Jack, who was a necessary character, and like a bunch of the PR people at Keeley's company who were unnecessary, oh, and this random this random Dutch guy who was unnecessary. I like, and, the like Dutch guy. This m-
1: keep throwing them at me, Kate. I like them all.
2: <laughs> I just they're but like they just. I don't know. Sorry. Go ahead, Tara.
0: Well, another thing I like about Zava's presence in the storyline is the way that Rebecca interacts with him um, and like wins him over. Um, If I'm remembering correctly, like Rebecca has a couple of awkward interactions where she's like unable to even get access to him, isn't able to like get into certain rooms and, is awkward and I appreciated that like we were able to see Rebecca be awkward and like not immediately know how to interact uh, or like charm someone to get what she wants but then she like grows that level of confidence she enters the male restroom she says the necessary thing to inspire Zava to want to join a team like Richmond and I thought seeing her navigate getting Zava was also kind of a cool element to
1: the
2: story sure was fully on board with the zava mm-hmm. plotline y'all <laughs> just i don't know it's just for what
1: i was thrilled when when they introduced him i texted my friend i was like they have a zlatan lookalike <laughs> on the new season of ted lasso i think
2: there was just too many messy character and story arcs at the moment and then to bring in this new character who was supposed to like be the solution for the team i don't know for some reason i just like rejected it instantly and i was like no I don't want this new character. I want to focus on what we need to fix, which is these already existing characters' arcs I already care so deeply about, which are not getting screen time now. So I think that's just where my frustrations will always lie, and I don't think they're going to change, you know? And I'll just get get, get off this horse now because I'll just keep beating I, I it to death, you know?
1: <laughs> not Not specific to Zava either, but I think, like, a huge central point to... Ted Lasso, right? Are these questions around who is who is the show for? Like what what sense of reality here are we trying to portray? And with those two central issues, I feel like they have not been fleshed out fully. I think there's like competing interests of of the good here and and that's maybe why it's also, a little bit messy right because it's like they don't really (laughs) fully commit to any particular angle i didn't even hear what you said
0: she said no Latan after you said messy
1: (laughs) oh um leave that one in in. i got it it. that was i'm a man you fake that was a little slow um but like my point exactly right like kate's like i don't care about zava and like this this real life situation it's like me watching it i'm like this show would be so much better if it wasn't ridiculous <laughs> half of the time like they could have they could have accomplished everything they wanted to without like how ludicrous some of these situations were you know so it's that's i think helps or, or not helps i i think that's what makes it kind of difficult i think to to keep a through line this entire time all right
0: well let's get into the other real world parallel that we had in ted lasso which is edwin Okufo trying to make a super league um should i do you want to give us some background on that yeah absolutely so the super league was last proposed in 2021 by a number of major clubs in soccer including man united man city liverpool arsenal chelsea tottenham ac milan Mm -hmm. shout out to mike um, Atletico Madrid, um, in addition to a few others, um, who did you would, say
1: you did you say Juventus? I didn't catch. I not I,
0: I decided to stop reading all of them. Should I read uh, all of them? No, I think it's fine. Well, okay. no,
1: I was just I was specifically mentioning Juventus because they were, I would say, one of the most prominent um, teams to to vouch for it. Just Got wanted it. to put that out there.
0: Okay, should I restart? No, no, it's fine. They're the worst. Well, I barely no, I just, started.
1: No 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 no. Keep going. You're good. (laughs)
0: Everybody's (laughs) sorry.
1: Oh my lord.
0: (laughs) Or not. (laughs) No no no. I keep
1: it keep it in because I want to specifically call out how shitty they are in particular. Okay. Cool.
0: Um. Okay. Yeah. Also, (laughs) Juventus. Um. It was proposed in 2021. Um. The reason being, um, loss of money for these billionaires, specifically Real Madrid president. Florentino Perez uh, Was remarking on the amount of money Lost during the COVID-19 Pandemic and said if we continue with the Champions League there is less and less interest And then it's over the new format Which starts in 2024 is absurd In 2024 we're all dead together we have Lost five billion dollars Um, In two Seasons Madrid have lost 400 million Basically well it's euros right not dollars Sorry it's euros (laughs) Uh, Basically it's all these billionaires Complaining about not having enough money um which you can see with rebecca remarking to the full room of these men asking how much money they could possibly need um, because they're proposing a league where soccer teams are allowed to stay in one league from year to year as opposed to the promotion relegation style um in the national leagues throughout europe so as we know from ted lasso they get uh, relegated from the Premier League at the end of season one, but then they get promoted back to the Premier League at the end of season two. Uh, the Super League would propose a system that doesn't have promotion and relegation very similar to the way m- most American sports leagues work. And I guess the the devil's advocate view of this is you get the, hypothetically, you get the best version of these athletes playing the sport at its highest levels, but in all actuality, all you get is ingraining a system of incre- incredible inequality and kind of removing what makes the Premier League, what makes soccer in general so beautiful because people are constantly kind of proud of the achievements they're able to have. Uh, I think one thing that's like tricky with being a fan of most American sports teams is a lot of times if you don't win the Super Bowl, if you don't win the NBA Finals, et cetera, it's difficult to show exactly what you have accomplished. A lot of times that in the NBA, for example, leads to a lot of teams tanking because if they're unable to win a championship, they don't see the point in winning at all, and they'd rather lose, drop to the bottom of the league, and get a high draft pick for the following year. And it rids the league of a lot of competitiveness throughout the season Um, a lot of problems with American sports could hypothetically be solved with relegation uh, but American owners will probably never allow for a relegation system to happen in American sports and that's kind of the reason people were so aghast by the proposal to get rid of a system that has relegation in um, English football Um, in fact after people After the Super League was announced back in 2021, it was denounced by most of the media to the point where almost all, if not all, of the Premier League clubs that claimed that they would be part of the Super League then denounced it and decided to back out because people were so
1: appalled. It it died within like 24 hours. It was kind of amazing.
0: (laughs) I wish we could shame people enough to kill dumb decisions within 24 hours more often, but... Alas, HBO Max is now Max.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say this Super League storyline, I think, was one of my least favorite of the entire season. Um, Just because, again, like, to me, it goes back to this central question, right, of, like, who is this show for, right? And... I think the issue of the Super League, and Trey did a, a great job of explaining it, um, is a deeply intricate hot-button issue that literally holds the stake of, like, world soccer in its hands. I mean, the really, uh, not only was it promoting a, a system of inequality, but really I think there's an argument to be made that a lot of smaller teams would not even be able to survive had this super league been been put in place. So it was like a nice, happy-go-lucky, like oh, it's for the fans. Where you were a boy once, you snuck into the stadium, blah blah. No, you know, but
0: Mike, I think you're right. Like, I think it's a really complicated issue. That like, if you're a fan of a team, any team, like, it, I don't, I don't particularly watch soccer, but like, as a fan of certain teams, I understand the attachment to that and, like, how to – how like, the best way to curate fandom and things like that. But that's not anything they explained, right? They don't even, like, fully explain the financial implications that this would have on, like, less well-established clubs. Um,
1: And and that's why I I hated its exclusion because I'm like, you're taking this very, very delicate and important issue – and you're throwing it into an episode and explaining it in one boardroom scene, and I'm like, nobody, either you're you're one of two people. You went into that episode having never heard of the Super League before, and then they put that in there, and you're like, what the fuck is this? Or you're very aware of the... The repercussions of the Super League And you were paying attention two years ago When it was all over the news And everyone was freaking out And it it doesn't seem like it does it justice In that scene So really I don't think it works either way When they
0: they announced it I like My mouth kind of dropped I was like I can't believe they're doing this (laughs) Like I guess it it makes sense If you have like A billionaire character on the show But then Also it's like kind of weird where I mean, Mike, maybe you can, like, vouch for this or not. But, like, I was reading that a club like West Ham or Richmond would never be in this, like, hypothetical proposed Super League. It'd be, like, much more well-established wealthy clubs. Um, So then they're, like, also, like, I understand that maybe you have to do that to be able to have Rebecca in the room, but it kind of, like, dilutes the point you're making even more.
1: A 100%.
0: Um, while we're on this note, how'd y'all feel about uh, Rebecca selling half the team to the fans? Very AFC Wimbledon of her. <laughs>
1: I did like. I did like it. Um...
0: I do not really get it. It's again another thing where it's like, oh, this would be a very interesting. Like fan ownership of clubs would be a very interesting plot line to explore but instead it's just like a statement yeah, yeah. it's a, like a headline of an article and that's it that's all you see yeah it's a headline of an article which by the way you see right before Ted uses Apple Pay to buy that <laughs> magazine I, that's probably the hardest I laughed in the season finale series finale is when Ted uses Apple Pay on this <laughs>
1: Apple show honestly I didn't even pick up oh on oh my
0: gosh it. I
2: died at that yeah he, he gets the, the two newspapers and it goes ding <laughs> Our entire home
0: was like, yes, Apple Pay, you made it on the show.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like counting the Apple product placement stuff all throughout this show. Mm.
1: See, I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't have an iPhone. Yeah, I just Apple, don't perceive. There's so
0: much texting on this show. I that, know. Like, he's like sending gifts to people. But it's like, funny because Rupert has an iPhone. Mm. You would think that Rupert isn't allowed to as Oh, they'd be like, villain. Rupert has
2: the Android
0: because he's the villain. <laughs>
1: What are you trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> in in regards to selling the team to the fans, yeah, I, I mean, I liked I liked that she did it, but like you said, it was kind of just like a throwaway at the end. That is a, it is a reality. There are teams that are out there that are fan-owned. Um, I don't know if there's any that are, like, split 51-49. Um, also, sold – did she charge them, or did she just say, hey, you have yeah, a shirt in the club? I don't know. Like, I don't think – like, when <laughs> I, they say I mean, sold, I don't... I don't think there's actual money involved no, I mean, either they way. Sh- but maybe I'm wrong. Because May
0: and, like, those other fans are, yeah, I like – like, right for AFC – like, uh, uh, the fan-owned team I'm most familiar with is John Green's team, AFC Wimbledon, which – he makes it seem like an ordinary Joe can buy a share, and it's like, what, $20 a month? No, agreed. I think that's how it is typically done, but it's unclear if that's what Rebecca yeah. did. I feel like it is just because she's, they're also talking about the money they can get to then improve the team yeah. by selling it. Yeah. So it'd be a little silly if she was just like... But
1: also, like think that the evaluation Higgins gave her was $2 billion, right? So did she sell the... Did they evaluate the 49%... At one billion, because then, you know, how many people are fans of AFC uh, Richmond? There, it's yeah. going to be a pretty expensive stock. I don't. Yeah,
2: yeah I don't understand how they did it, because I guess they just made it like an open traded. It's like it's on the stock market now. You know. Also, and, what uh, if Rupert
0: buys the, all of the forty nine percent, and then we get into a succession esque trying to take control oh, of the team? Again. I mean, it's
2: a
1: hostile takeover. <laughs> I'm from Waterloo where the fucking ha- vampires hang out.
2: It seems like he was publicly shunned and ridiculed in the finale and that I don't think that's- That's true. That's a that thing. That also, see by the Berry? way,
0: Rupert's- He was a Star Wars villain. Hold on, villain. did nobody
1: see Black- No one saw Blackberry? No, anymore? were you referencing
0: Blackberry? <laughs>
1: yeah, oh, so good.
0: Like <laughs> saw our reaction <laughs> and be like- oh. we don't He's know from where
1: Waterloo where the fucking vampires hang out. Come on.
0: <laughs> um- Rupert's whole Star Wars villain, like, black coat office with all of the villain, it was just, like, too gimmicky. To I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Rupert was so ridiculously vilified with, he literally looks like he sits in a lair. But for that purpose, I was so excited to have Edward Akufo back, just to have, like, another villainous character that is not just, like, 100% pure villain, I'm evil yeah. in Rupert Munyan, but like just like this ridiculous guy who has so much money and is so used to having everything go his way and like can't stand his temper like I think he's I I also love um the actor that plays Edwin Okufo so see I just,
1: but I I can't watch him without just like you're Richard Splatt that's all I see. <laughs> I just love Richard Splatt so much
0: I wanted to talk about another storyline that I think Ted Lasso also bungled and failed, <laughs> which is Colin and his struggle to come out. And I just think the whole the whole way they did it was actually super harmful. The way uh, Colin is outed is through the leaks of the nudes where, like, Isaac just grabs his phone and realizes he's gay, which already felt so manufactured and heavy-handed. But then to have an entire episode where Isaac is, like, mad at Colin and they're, like, faking us out to make us think Isaac is homophobic. Like, the whole time, we know what kind of show Ted Lasso is. We know that Isaac is not going to be a homophobe. So we, I mean, at least I, just, like, was annoyed by the fake-out. And then when Isaac shows up to Colin's house at the end of the day and he says... You lied to me for years. What is it about me that made you think you couldn't tell me? Like, it's like you don't. You're not owed that, Isaac. Yeah. Like, does Isaac not understand how coming out
1: works? Like, no, that's a real
0: thing. No, no, I understand that that's a real thing, but it feels like a plot line that we would have in 2003 about coming out. You know what I mean? Like, we have gotten past that storyline of, like, why couldn't you tell me? coming out stories and then to end the episode with Isaac asking all of those ignorant questions about like how do you shower with the team isn't that so hard like it would just felt really harmful and rude and and, and and childish, like it felt like a 2003 storyline of coming out. Like I don't think we're there anymore. I think we can be a little bit more evolved now. That said, the show did get me. I still cried when Colin called his bo- kissed his boyfriend in the finale, and I'm mad at them because they still got me, even though I'm mad at how this story went.
1: <laughs> See, I, I, it's a very, it's a very tricky one. I, I think I don't totally hate the way that they did it although i I agree I wish there was more weight behind it and it did feel a little bit outdated in that regard I agree I the scene where them like at the house asking all the stupid questions like that that was overdone yeah. um for sure but at the same time, right I, I still think like in many ways we as a society are not past that mm-hmm. and even though it does seem like very very baseline i think we also have to remember like we are are pretty modern people here in this group right and maybe people they're trying to reach through ted lasso are are the people in kansas i I, yeah i don't know but but my point being also that like when you put it in the context of soccer itself it is a huge issue in soccer like in sports in in reality like Yeah, um, but soccer, I would say soccer in particular. It's Sports in general, yes, because just like in any sports league in the world, you really don't have have players that are out. But soccer really takes it one step.
0: Shout out to Carl Nassib.
1: It's exactly, but at the same time, it's like, you know, people like hear that they move on and, and it's whatever. It's like it's not a widespread thing, right? Like we have these one-off examples as, as great as they are. Um, but I would say soccer in particular it is a a huge issue because you not only have this issue where players are silenced but at the same time in many f- countries around the world you have legitimate is- homophobic issues with soccer teams where fans are getting barred from stadiums you have whole sections chanting things like it's a various uh, a very serious issue around the world. I would say even more so than really sports. Oh, yeah, here, so. no, not
2: even just like that. Some of these countries where these huge teams are based, like have laws written in where it's yeah. like uh, you know you could get like you could go to jail. You know,
1: yeah. So I mean, I thought it was I thought it was great that they were portraying that issue on TV because it's like there's still a lot of ground to be made. Um, but like you said, I think, you know, like they could have, they really could have injected it with more. And I understand it's like I've said before, Ted Lasso is kind of like this happy go lucky show at times. And yes, there's the dark side to Ted Lasso too. And they show people at their lows. Um, but the way they discuss things is very PG, very idealistic at times. And it was like, it it really didn't seem like it was like the, the weight of it was, was as harsh as it it could have been at times to, to inject that sense of reality uh, into it. I mean,
2: I genuinely like Colin's arc was like one of the least of my concerns too during the show. I thought his arc was like, even though we might disagree on the whole, like how Isaac handled the situation thing, at least it was like straightforward, you know, it was like his coming out story. Mm -hmm. It, you know, you know, and it wrapped nicely. He got to kiss his boyfriend on the pitch. That was really sweet, and it had a good.
1: Yeah, I loved the. Yeah, finale. and the, there
2: was a great moment where, like, you know, Trent comes out to Colin and is like, "I feel you." Yeah, yeah. and so I think so, it was the least of my concerns in a season where I was having a lot of problems with a lot of character arcs. Collins was not one of them that I was struggling with at all.
0: I I struggled with it. I do agree with you that the other ones were worse, but I still think this is bad. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, and my other issue too is, I mean, I don't want to sit here and say there's like, there was too much queer representation in this season of Ted Lasso. Like, all in the That's not a. That's not a good. They
2: went from they went from zero to 100 they went from zero to a hundred. Right. I so just it's want, like I just point that out. Like I and, think
0: they went from zero to seventy, maybe. <laughs>
1: okay, but my my point is like. You had competing like queer storylines at the same time. It was like, at the same time. as we're trying to digest the whole Colin situation, they're just like, oh, let's throw this whole Keely jacket thing in here at the same time, like just because. Like, <sighs>
2: that's my do we want to do we want to segue to Jack as a character? Okay, so there was another queer storyline heavily featured in season three which was keely and jack jack being the woman that is paying for keely's pr firm so technically her boss um and you know they finally meet in person hit it off right away and start a relationship um i had a lot of problems with the relationship i just felt like jack was kind of an unnecessary character in keely's emotional arc but what did you guys think
1: my biggest issue with it is it just I don't know. It it felt forced, I guess. Um it, it just felt like it, it really came out of nowhere. And I think it's totally fine. You know, I think it's it's a great revelation that like you know, maybe she realized this this part of herself I think she's and, been queer. um has she? I think
2: she had she had. She, I thought. Am I wrong? I thought she had made comments before about like kissing women or fooling around with women. Am I wrong? She says
0: like she she says when um they go on that trip um uh, when she gets invited to a trip with Rebecca, she's like, well, "This is a great opportunity for it to dip my toe back into the lady pool." So I think oh. she's had relationships.
1: relationship well, then with you're with just women. gonna have to edit this but
0: out. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I into I think to your point though. The way it touches on what it does with Jack, there's two different things that it just touches on something and then doesn't get into it. One is Jack's whole love-bombing thing where they're like,
3: mm-hmm. introduce
0: the concept of love-bombing, try to explore it, and then it's like, now Keely's just going to buy something for her, so it's all fine, and don't really get into depth of that. And then the second thing is Keely's, um, you know, tape that she sends Jamie. I feel we're calling it a sex tape because it's not a like, sex but you know like what her I nudes mean. got leaked, yeah. Yeah. And Jack is super, like, awful. In- inappropriate <laughs> with her, not really understanding, like, Keely's own agency and that Keely isn't ashamed of doing mm-hmm. this. But again, it just touches it on such a base level when Jack is like, Keely, you wouldn't do something like that again. And it leaves Keely in this position where, like, she is painted to feel like she did something wrong and nobody is there to shake Keely and be like, no, Keely, like, be proud of yourself. It's just so weird that it's this like base level. Of... There's that one line that's like, now a woman will know. finally know how to masturbate. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess the reason why I thought that it was never apparent previously, other than the show, it, it's been like two years between seasons, I have no recollection of what happened before. But the reason why I, I thought that was the case was really because of the way it was portrayed. I think, like, the, the way it's portrayed when they kiss for the first time, for example, right, It's didn't, to me, did not read, like, your average TV first kiss, like, two characters finally getting together. Like, it looked like she was going through this whole sort of, like, inner, um, this this inner battle, I guess, of, like, should i or shouldn't i am is this real am i feeling this way like she she looked very hesitant about it in the moment was i
0: felt like that was more so because of the power power dynamic because jack is the vc investor which again this show loves to have like inappropriate relationships between like like i mean not just sam and rebecca and jack and keely but let's not let's we are not gonna have time to get into this but Ted's ex-wife and her marriage counselor. Like, this show comes loves inappropriate relationships and then just, like, never commenting on the fact that, like, it is inappropriate. It also leads Mm -hmm. to, like, a weird situation where we're not able to ever celebrate Keeley's intellect and, like, the fact that she's actually really good at her job. It's, like, at the beginning, she, like, Jack thinks she's cute. And I'm not saying that Jack only agrees with her because Jack is into her, but she gets her way with like keeping it small and only having a select number of clients because Jack agrees. And then she loses the firm and then she gets to continue the firm because Rebecca just gives her the money for it. And I don't think, I don't think that's like a bad thing to have wealthy friends, but why don't we ever get to see Keely succeed because of her own intelligence and the fact that she's good at what she does.
1: Same, same thing in the finale, right? Like, jamie is using like this nike commercial as like a ploy to get back with her it's not really a a celebration of like oh i need my publicist here because she's so great right
0: she gets a nike client because a boy likes her
2: (laughs) and i think like um this is why i was so upset with these like i feel like she's just being passed around like it was one thing where it was like in previous seasons she was being passed around between jamie and roy but then to be like and now we have a woman who's after her here's jack which like i was like okay i get that we're trying to be progressive but like really like there's a third person who's like vying for her attention now and then just the way that they have jack just drop keely so quickly after like her nudes get leaked kind of was like well that's a little harmful for like a portrayal of like a lesbian couple like don't love that you know they made her out to be just a jerk in the end um and I I I felt so sad though of Keely's art because I was listening to our season two recap episode um before we filmed this one and there was a point where I went on a tangent and I was like I'm so excited to see like Keely being super successful at her company and being super busy and booked and then like Roy's the one that has to kind of struggle with feeling like a little inferior in that he's got this amazing, awesome girlfriend who's like out there doing it. And I was like, we didn't even get to see that. You know, we didn't get to see Keely be a boss. and It made me really sad.
0: Yeah. Um, our former Marvel expert, Chaos on the Set guest, Leah Marilla, wrote a great article for Cosmopolitan that I encourage everyone to go read. The headline is, I guess the Ted Lasso optimism only extends to its male characters. Um, but in the article, she basically outlines all of the weird and rocky things that happen with Keeley where it almost makes her look like she's not competent. Like, she says, I know Keeley is unconventional at times, but savvy, professional, and competent. And while we see her career a- rise, she just seems so clueless with the hiring Shandy thing, which was such a oh weird storyline. She, she hires this fellow model who does help fix and save a lot of money at that photo shoot and then when like shandy is shit on keely like doesn't mention that she actually has brilliance and then shandy just ends up being like a crazy person that doesn't understand work dynamics it's so weird There's, like, something that could be gotten into with, like, also, like, the way the modeling industry treats women, Mm -hmm. but instead, Keely's just like, I feel guilty that, like, I got out, and then the only other model we see is a bimbo. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I just didn't like these new Mm. characters that they brought in to surround Keely with. I will say, I think the one character that I think played off of Keely surprisingly well that I wish they'd focused more on was Barbara, because Barbara was this... Yeah, I loved Barbara. Barbara was this very, like... Like, you know, she didn't really understand sarcasm. She was very straight-laced, very, like, I handle your finances. Very, like, I don't want to be friends. I don't understand your, like, bubbly vibe. And I think I would have loved to have just seen these two women working together to forge on with this company. Like, they kind of allude to that in the finale where it's, like, Barbara's just the only employee she has, which I thought was kind of fun. Yeah, um, and I
0: think that they they did get to – we got to see, like, the few glimpses of Keely yes. being, like, good at what she does when she, like, notices the snow globes and makes a comment on that and then is like, but you can't treat Shandy with that level of disrespect. Like, that was good, I thought, but it was so – like, it was, like, the one gem in, like, all of this rubble.
2: Yeah, I will say also the one – other thing I loved about Barbara was when I, like, at the finale game, she was like, I like rugby because there's more blood. Then when the fan <laughs> got hit in the face, she was like, Yeah. That was great. Barbara was pretty cool. And then Barbara wore pants that said, like, too hot to handle juicy. or too juicy or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's like, I like clothes that tell the truth. Yeah, yeah that was actually really funny. Barbara <laughs> was like my favorite new
3: character
0: in the whole season, which is like saying something because she didn't get much screen time. <laughs> um, I also want to get into a little bit about everything that happens between Keely and Roy and Jamie. God. For me, I I didn't fully under, like, the Roy-Keely breakup for me didn't land for me. It felt like just breaking them up for no reason. Well, because it but happened off did. camera. <laughs> <laughs> we got a voice mm-hmm. note from a listener, Randy, um, who his explanation of the Roy-Keely uh, breakup really resonated with me, and then his analysis of that relationship really resonated with me. Let me play it for y'all.
3: Hey folks, this is Randy. I want to thank the Chaos on the Set folks for letting me send in this quick audio note. I just wanted to talk about why I love Roy, Jamie, and Keeley. Number one. Roy and Keeley's breakup made a ton of sense to me. Keeley's star was rising. She was attaining a whole new level of success and celebrity on her own terms. Meanwhile, Roy was retired and he was done with the limelight. He got pushed into a professional football career when he was a kid, and he's never left the spotlight. He wants a little bit of room to grow. He wants to go sip rosé with his yoga ladies, and I thought that was fine. Uh, season 3 seemed to want me to believe that Roy didn't feel worthy of Keeley, and I didn't love that storyline for him. It just didn't make a ton of sense to me. Now, one Roy storyline that did work for me and that worked for just about everyone who watches Ted Lasso was, was Roy and Jamie. They set the groundwork for that friendship in Season 2, and I think we pretty much knew that we had it when Roy hugged Jamie back in Season 2 after the Man City game. There was clearly magic there. It bled into Season 3. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was perfect. In fact, uh, the whole Jamie Tart character redemption arc works for me. But if they want me to be invested in this love triangle, what better way for it to end than for Jamie and Keely to get together, and for Roy to genuinely feel happy about it, to see two people he loves find love with one another, and settle into this future for himself, where he's allowed some warmth into his heart and some happiness. That seems to be the kind of love story Ted Lasso wanted to tell me, that love comes in all different shapes and forms. Unfortunately, it ended in some posturing and fighting over Keely. And as much as she was right to throw those two boys out the front door when they showed up at her place all mussed up, I really don't think that was the story any of them were working toward. And I really wish we could have seen their happiness together. Thanks so much for listening.
0: I really liked Randy's voice. I want to touch on the beginning before we get into the Jamie of it all, because... Um, again, like, for me, until I listened to Randy's voice note, I thought they were just breaking up Roy and Kelly to break them up and cause more conflict. But I do really feel like, oh, I guess, you know, Roy is from once going from this famous person to dating somebody that is getting more spotlight and shine than him. And, and throughout the season, you know, I could resonate with Roy being like, I want to become a better version of myself. Like, I, at the end when he's telling the Diamond Dogs, like, I just, like, I'm trying to improve myself. Like, I can totally empathize with that and how roy is feeling however i don't really see what changes he actually makes to get to that place like when he sees that teacher that he flirted with in season two again and she's like you look lighter you look less stuck i'm like but what has actually changed what has he done to become less stuck other than talking about how he wants to get better you know I do like that scene where he's um, well. Two things about the Roy and Keely situation that I actually do like. One was in the scene where they're telling Phoebe that they've broken up, and uh, Phoebe asks why, and Roy comments on how he has like a new job that he's um, has a lot of work. Well, that they both have new jobs. That's a lot of work. And Keely's initial reaction is to support him and say like, "Oh, like I know you're worried about that, but it's going to be okay." And then she immediately realizes, "Oh, that's not the relationship." we have anymore like her gut is to just like support him um and honestly when that happened i thought like okay this is like an interesting that this is like a tough way how people leave relationships and i do appreciate the honesty that's there um in the next episode when i think they visit roy's old team which is arsenal is that right
1: i can't recall or no, Chelsea, Chelsea, he Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea.
0: Yes, shout out to Ari, my friend, who's a Chelsea fan. Uh- <laughs> I
1: used to be a Chelsea fan. Kate knows she bought me a hat. I did.
0: Why did you change?
1: Um, I don't really like the owner. Mm. Do you like
0: other owners <laughs> more than this guy? How about the Paul Allen trust? That's the best owner <laughs> there is because he's dead. Mm. Um, should I was talking about the Seahawks. Ah. <laughs> uh- um. Okay. Back to <laughs> And then I think in the next episode, they visit Roy's old club, uh, which I believe is Chelsea. And he gives this speech about how in his last year at Chelsea, he was so stressed because he wasn't the same football player that he used to. And he wishes that instead of agonizing over all the things that he was losing, he was able to just enjoy it. I thought that speech was incredibly moving. Um, and did kind of connect to, like, the lives we live where we're, like, just so, like, hung up about, like, what used to be um, and not, like, able to just, like, appreciate the situation that we're in in the moment. But then again, like, it did seem to, like, have some undertones with, like, his relationship with Keely, I guess. But that connection wasn't abundantly clear. And his steps to improving himself to become the man worthy of Keely were incredibly unclear to me as well.
2: And I think it could have been more clear if uh, we had seen their breakup on camera (laughs) like if we had just had a few episodes like the first two episodes or whatever where you see keely being successful and you see roy kind of feeling lost and then them breaking up and then then him working towards some kind of change i think it could have been much more impactful than they've already broken up and now it's just like that's what that's what's happened i also think like i don't know i was just I didn't hate Roy's arc. Like, I know we're kind of confused. Like, well, how did he change? But I do think the one thing I loved was his relationship with Jamie. The scenes of Roy and Jamie were incredibly touching this this season. I really liked their character development. Uncle Day was amazing. Uncle Day was amazing. Oh, my gosh. Uncle Day was great. So I loved their relationship. And then for them in the finale to fight over Keely, I was like – why are we regressing? Like why? Like you guys should both be in a place now where we're like, you know what? We've I, we don't think either of us need to chase Keely anymore. Like we need to just kind of let that rest. And it it was just so dumb for them to show up and be like, pick one of us. Yeah. And I was like, this feels out of character for you two at this point. I could have seen this in season 1 or, or season 2, not right yeah. now, you know.
1: And I I read I, I and I'm going to paraphrase. I read a tweet from one of the writers, I don't know who it was, so if I'm miscrediting here, whatever. Um, but essentially, somebody associated with the show said, you know, they didn't, like, all love triangles on TV always end up with, you know, the the person in the middle, like, making a choice between one or the other. And I respect the, the fact that they didn't go down that path, right, and she kicked both of them. Out the door, um but Kate, like you said, I still hate the way that they went about it and like making them fight. Like you didn't have to make a choice uh, on this love triangle. They could have just like both agreed to to sort of move on. And the way it just it played out was so and so ugly. Not only with them fighting, but like the the, the
2: ma- making her choose. <laughs>
1: not, not not even making her choose, but like the prior to the fight, right? Their verbal altercation when they were, like, bragging. It was last month, mate. awful. She made the video for me, mate. Like, that was terrible.
2: And I think, too, I think what they were trying to do with that was be, like, we're going to make Keeley independent. Like, go women. Like, you don't need a man. You don't need a woman. Like, you know. And I think by doing that, it harmed Jamie's and Roy's arcs in the end. And also, I think it was trying to hit the nose a little too on the head of Keeley where it was, like, you know what? I choose nobody. And then it's like her in the montage being like, I want to start a Richmond winning team. And they were like, <laughs> yay. And I'm like, okay, we get it. Like girl power, Keely girl power. She doesn't need a relationship. Okay, we understand. You've hit it a little too on the nose here.
0: It also, that conversation you're referring to, Mike, before they start fighting, opened up like this weird uh, situation where like it implies that Roy thinks that they're maybe dating, Um, because he's like, Mm. oh, things are starting again. After, like, the last episode, he told Keely that he just wanted to be friends. So, like, what is going on in Roy's mind right now? And it's it's, it's funny because, like, it's so... This season is so unclear about what is going... what, What the story it's trying to tell, and then it's, like, abundantly clear that Roy... What's going on in Roy's mind is also so unclear if one episode he's telling... This girl, he doesn't want to be in a relationship with that her. And in the next episode, he's Wait. telling someone that he is kind of in a relationship with her. Wait, when does he? I thought he said he wants to be with Keely He yeah
2: he
1: said he said I want to be said, more than friends. Right? Yeah oh. he said I
2: don't want to be your friend. I want to be more than friends. And then she was the one that was hesitant.
0: Yeah. But oh, but, cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> but what I will say is weird and doesn't feel like Roy is basically lying then to Jamie and saying, oh no, we're getting back together. Like everything's in place. Like he's misrepresenting the status of his relationship he is taking agency away from keely which doesn't seem like something oh, yeah, roy no. would do like it's such a twisted like i, th- I think it's like a defensive to thing to do that i'm like Roy, why are you doing this now after the growth of three seasons
1: i think it's like a, a defensive move where he's like plotting ahead he's plotting his course on how he can win her back and but I feel like that, a Roy like, of this, m- this mindset in.
0: should know that Keeley would be pissed at him if she found out he said that to Jamie. Yeah. So like, yeah. See, also... I I agree.
1: I and rather than having them end in a fight, I think they should have just like gone just let it go. gone all in on the bisexual tension that they were clearly building throughout the season.
2: Oh, you mean Jamie and Roy? Mm-hmm. Oh, like they should have fucked. Or mm. well, uh, okay. They I didn't be, take it they that can far, be a sure.
1: They could be a throuple. Bill Dunster was asked if he said he thinks Jamie's bisexual.
0: I mean, we see uh, Danny Rojas in a thruple at Beard's wedding, so thruples for all. I think the biggest question going into this season is how will the series figure out Nate's redemption arc? Will there be a redemption arc? And uh, are we going to be happy with how he's redeemed? My answer is no. I was not happy with how he redeemed, but I would love to know what you guys think.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't think Nate was really redeemed. It, it, the first few episodes, it was like this weird nebulous of Nate just... You could tell, I guess, he was having this little struggle where it was just like, you know, he would throw insults uh about ted you know and whether it's in the media or whatever or like he was just hesitant to um i i guess make any sort of like kind remark right when it's when he's in the presence of of rupert or anybody so really all they did was for episodes upon episodes is portray nate is like being uncomfortable with with everything that happened and like having this battle of whether he's going to be, like, mean Nate or or he's going to be nice. And then midway through, he sees that Rupert's an asshole and and he doesn't really like the vibe that Rupert's bringing. And then, like Kate said, he's fired off screen, but you're assuming that it was sort of, like, fallout between him and Rupert personality-wise, whatever. And then he gets all...
0: I think he quits.
1: Quits, yeah. Um. And then he gets all sad boy emo somehow gets a girlfriend in the act and now and now all
0: Oh my god. His girlfriend who is not a character. Like she's literally <laughs> she could be a figment of Nate's imagination <laughs> with how little personality and character depth she is given. The when she like is and like, no one ever sees her oh <laughs> I honestly would respect the so much more if she was a ghost. <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah, essentially just like Nothing really happened to get us from point A to point B other than just like Nate acting like a weirdo. I think
0: it's literally just like, oh, I'm less happy here. Let me go back to where I was happier um but like i have not changed personally as a person like Nate is cruel oh, yeah. in season 2 he does terrible mean things mm-hmm. he he doesn't even apologize like he just i mean he does apologize but that's all he says he says i'm sorry and cries to ted like oh, he, he, he doesn't cleans, really acknowledge solely yeah. he cleans he the, did the locker
2: room for will and that's like every he sneaks in that was in. kind of sweet
0: and he tapes the lavender to the card i thought that was sweet cuz will adds lavender to I just to the- like
2: I I just I was so incredibly disappointed with Nate's arc because I think going like I can't describe to you the level of excitement I had at the end of season two when like we get that shot of him at West Ham and he just looks so evil and I was like fucking yes like he's been so awful this season I'm so excited to see him have to like grovel his way back you know and like in like and that was there was no groveling there was no groveling like. It was just like
1: he showed a little bit of remorse. No, like
2: literally, he was showing no remorse, no remorse, and then played the violin. Yeah, oh my god, like (laughs) the violin was awful. What was like literally? He like shit talked Ted at a press conference, and then played against him at West Ham and and didn't shake his hand. And then next time we see him, he's he's stalking Jade and like I want to date her, I want to date her, and then like makes her that stupid thing that he drops, (laughs) and then.
0: Just to play devil's advocate a, l- <laughs> a little bit. I don't I don't like the Nate storyline I'm saying, but like there is like marginally more fat on the bone there where I think that the scene where he goes, um, he's going to ask her out. He goes to the bathroom and he's going to hype himself up the way Rebecca and Keely taught him to. And he's going like to spit in the mirror and he stops and is like, that's not. How we do things, and then decides to like make the box and show love okay. instead of like I think superiority. My problem or though. I don't
2: think it's good, think my,
0: but it's it's a little, a little bit more. I there. think my
2: problem with the whole like Jade storyline though is like that is not what he needed for his character arc to be redeemed. He didn't need to get a girlfriend or be confident agreed. enough to get a girlfriend. Like all that time of him being like, I want a girlfriend. I got a girlfriend. Now I have a girlfriend. Should have been instead agreed
0: completely. Yeah. Like and then used seems towards.
2: Like- yeah.
0: And then it seems like the reason he leaves West Ham is because he has a girlfriend mm-hmm. and then Rupert invites him Freshers to like, sleep him. with other women.
2: And, yeah, so he finally... Uh, and then he's like, oh, I have
3: to leave. It's
2: like, that, that to me was crazy. I'm like, wait, you're finally realizing now that Rupert is a snake when you literally worked for Rebecca and saw how he treated Rebecca? Like, yeah. get out of here, Nate. And then... Yeah, and then like the whole episode where he's just moping in bed at home and then plays his violin and he plays the violin so beautifully that his dad is like, "I apologize for being a shitty father to you." He's like, "Wow." I will I will say then- to play
1: Devil's <laughs> Advocate a little bit on the on the violin. I saw the actor that plays Nate posted like some really long explanation, I think on Twitter about how the the violin he had like some personal connection to or something like that particular song i didn't read the whole thing i couldn't be bothered to it was way like okay
2: great that's like okay great nick muhammad (laughs) i'm happy for you that you like the violin does does this make any sense for me watch watch Uh, okay
1: watch we're gonna go read this full story and kate's gonna come off as like an asshole who hates this violin (laughs) thing i don't know i haven't read it
0: Nick Mohammed himself, yeah, he's been saying a lot. Like he's like, Oh, Nate's I saw a headline that was like, Oh, Nate's redemption will be good and like obviously (laughs) he was wrong there. Um, he made a quote he's he's shared this quote about Nate's return saying like he comes back because he hasn't got any points to prove, he's become so self obsessed in season two, so vain, and it's the realization that those things aren't important anymore and self worth counts a lot more, you don't need to shit on people to get ahead. Like yeah, Nick Muhammad, all of those things are true. Like, you don't need to show people to get ahead. But when did Nate realize that? Or did Nate just, like, realize that he wasn't happy here? I think
1: that, came that seems to be a theme with a lot of character arcs this season, especially where in interviews it, it has, like, come out where these actors and these writers have, like, very clear ideas for – people's decision making and why things played out the way that they did but they didn't like fully execute on it in the show itself
2: on in the season Rebecca goes to see a fortune teller at the assistance of her like her mother who's (laughs) very interesting this season and her
0: mother who again I would just like to reiterate my theory that Ted Lasso and Succession take place in the same universe because Harriet Walter plays both moms of uh, Kendall Roman and Shiv, and Rebecca. Oh. And in this season, we see that Rebecca won't take her private jet, just like the Roy kids are asked to stop taking their private jets in season three That's of funny. Succession. <laughs> they are half-siblings. I am sure of this. I will die <laughs> on this hill. Kate, okay, go ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah, so this is Force and Tyler, uh tells Rebecca that she's going to get a green matchbook, and it's going to be very special. And then she tells her there's a phrase shite in nining armor that will come up somehow then she says that she sees thunder and lightning with rebecca drenched and upside down um and then the last thing she says is you're going to be a mother so those are the <laughs> those are the things that she says are gonna happen to rebecca and it's weird like for a few episodes rebecca like hyper fixates on these things when they happen but then by by the this, like I would say the second half of the season, it's just never mentioned again. So, and I don't know, what, what do you guys think the writers were trying to do with that? So
1: here's my thing, right? I do not believe in psychics, right? <laughs> but that being said, like, I, I don't know. I think it was kind of stupid to say, like, oh, there's going to be this vision with the green matchbook. And then... There is an actual green matchbook from Sam's restaurant. Yeah.
2: The Sam and then it doesn't come her. to
1: fruition. I was like, fuck this. I liked the two of them.
2: Well, I really think, I honestly, God, think they use this thing to literally just try to make fans think that they were going to put Rebecca and it's Sam like, together. Yeah, the I swear to God. Diversion. They were like, look, like," because the first thing that happened was she got the matchbook from Sam. And I like remember literally thinking, oh, they're going to put Sam together. It's, it's, I literally was at the point where I was like, Oh, it says that she becomes a mom. Is like, are they going to end up together? And is like, Sam going
0: to get Rebecca pregnant? I literally thought it was going to happen. I guess maybe. Did th- you hear the theory that Shandy, oh, not Shandy, um, Sassy, Rebecca's friend, was going to die? Oh my God. And then <laughs> Rebecca would become a mom by like being a mom to Well, her maybe daughter. she's. Be- I saw the theory online and I was like, what show do you think this is? Yeah. But like,
1: is the is the insinuation that she's becoming the mother to the pilot? Yeah, that's daughter. what it is, which is also insane. <laughs> well, I also
2: am just like
1: I do love the pilot. I just, why? I, just,
2: I just needed Rebecca to like, like I just felt like they had this obsession the season of being like, "Who's Rebecca gonna be with? Is it Sam? Is it Ted? Is it this random Danish guy?"
1: I would have been livid if it was Ted. That would have been the well, one. and they tried to fake scenario. us out.
2: They tried to fake us out with thinking that they slept together, which I was
0: like, why the fucker? And I actually called Tri yeah, I paused Kane it. When and watched was walked the first? In in his pajamas 15 seconds of the season finale series finale and she calls me she's like did did Rebecca and Ted sleep together I was like no and she was like oh and I was like did you like you you'll find out in one minute like she's like I had to call you immediately
1: (laughs) (laughs) I paused it no I do I do like her meeting the canal guy turned pilot though because it's like no I love it because I think that's
2: turned pilot yeah I think it's <laughs> like kis- suddenly a pilot it's
1: kismet it's <laughs> it's such a unique way for them I think they they had a very I loved that like they had that that great night where two souls connected and then they they reconnected it was meant to be I like it
2: I'm just very against one of, like, the central characters being paired up in the end with someone that had, like, no screen time and we barely know anything
0: about him. That's just me. Like, I I would have rather... It felt very sloppily I didn't, put Yeah, together. I didn't feel... Personally, I did not like the Amsterdam episode and I did not feel like we were watching two souls meet. I thought we were watching two people near each other and I was bored. <laughs> I don't know that they, like, share... I don't know. I didn't feel like they shared a connection. But... Maybe I I'm think there's more affection between
2: Sam and Rebecca, personally.
1: I also yeah. like them. I would have been happy with that had the matchbook come to fruition. And then they just they teased they us just unnecessarily bullshitters, with it.
0: Yeah. You know. One other thing that I did like about this season was the trajectory of Ted deciding to go home. I think it makes sense that considering he has a seven-year-old child, he does need to return uh, to be his father. And I thought his interaction with his mom in deciding to do that was. A really great moment you know it's followed in the same episode where jamie uh like what where ted asks jamie what he would say to his father and he says like thank you and fuck you um and the the series of thanks and fucks that ted says to his mother i thought were very astute like that he's so grateful for like all of her love and support but like incredibly traumatized by the fact that after his father passed away she just pretended that everything was fine and like Ted being this guy who also like throughout the season is constantly optimistic and we see that like how damaging that can be when your father passes away and your mother's just being optimistic like I I really appreciated that conversation and the nuance that it brought to like the ethos of Ted lasso being optimistic all the time but like also providing the balance of like being realistic and supportive when when something horrible happens and being able to meet people with the emotions they have and how it's traumatic if you don't do that
2: um yeah I felt like I was a little confused with where his arc was going for most of the season but then by like the second half more so like the last two episodes they really <laughs> went full team head with like okay no this is where Ted is gonna be so I appreciated that because I felt like he was getting a little lost in his own show for most of the season um I really liked his mom I I wanted to point out one little thing that they kept it open-ended with whether Michelle stays with the the marriage counselor because when they're watching the last game against West Ham like his son and Michelle are super into the game and they just show him like on his phone be like this is dumb soccer is dumb and you could tell that they were getting mad at him and then in the last scene where he's Henry's playing Soccer and Ted is coaching. You do not see that man around. It is just his wife.
1: I th- I think the insinuation, without being a certainty, I think is that they, they are family. that she left yeah. him, and they're in they're at the very least trying to maybe work like things for out. Henry, I think yeah. is the suggestion.
0: Okay, I actually hate that if that's the insinuation. Yeah, I would actually also <laughs> just because like I really like how in season one. Ted's ex-wife is like i I don't want to be with you like I am trying to get back to being in the state of love with you, but it's just not happening if they're she's like, no, never mind I can love you again that and it's feel- like
2: with no with no development at all of why she can love him again just oh yeah uh, you won you almost won the premier League. I'm feeling <laughs> hot honor like- well, I think what
1: to me what <laughs> suggests it is. A, the, the distance shown between her and the psychiatrist in that last episode as they're watching the game, they're getting annoyed with him. Every time they cut back to that scene, he's sitting further and further away. So I think, A, at the very least, I think she leaves him, I think is the insinuation. But B, the reason why I think they maybe try and rekindle is because when Ted pulls up at the curb, you see Henry run out, but then i'm pretty sure michelle is also like at the door um looking eager to greet him so that's that's what i took from it personally i think they should have moved to london
0: well it seems like it, it seems like they want to do a spin-off of the show without jason sudeikis so send jason send ted back to mm. the states and then do whatever you want yeah. i am just incredibly frustrated With the lack of certainty, this show had with—is it the final season? Will there be a spinoff? Is this the series finale or is it the season finale? And just the lack of closure because like nobody knew it was going on. Like when they were releasing cast like interviews from when they were filming season three, it's like the Ted Lasso cast reflects on what could be the final season. I'm like, that sucks. Like let us know whether like give us the emotionality of it if it is the final season to get that closure. Even to the point of. This is unrelated, but the fact that all of the other episodes of Ted Lasso dropped on Apple TV Plus at 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern, and then the finale didn't drop until 9 o'clock Pacific, midnight Eastern, like, I just don't understand what Apple was doing at all with all of these, like, weird not telling the audience what actually is happening. Like, (laughs) your your audience should know when an episode of television is going to come out, like, at the bare minimum, so... I was frustrated by that.
1: I always watch it on Wednesday, so it didn't really matter to me. But I did see people tweeting about it. Yeah,
0: people were like, what the hell? We have people coming over to watch the finale at 9 o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, it just – why do that? Uh, We should wrap things up on this podcast. Uh, Before we close, Mike, I did want to ask you one question about a quote when the Richmond team starts getting very violent after seeing Nate rip up the sign um and the audience is watching them play and one of the spectators remarks they're playing like Italians i know it's awesome how did you feel about uh that phrase
1: um i liked it i liked it the, i did the <laughs> i'm a big proponent of the italian defending you know you <laughs> throw a little elbow in there uh you know tug the jersey take someone out if you need to Uh, you know like Will Ferrell kicking screaming style break someone's clavicle
2: oh also just like because we mentioned um announcers uh did you guys do you guys remember when this is like really quick when they were doing the international teams and um Mexico played Canada and they showed a little bit of footage from it um the announcers was uh Colin and Ryan from whose line is it anyway
0: do wait it. really yeah I love whose Light is it anyway that's awesome so I just thought that was a cute little fun fact mm-hmm. um, I also want to close with just a little bit of more positivity because I feel like we might have been a little negative on the show Higgins remains the best the whole season he delivers the best quotes yeah to, uh, uh, when he's talking to Rebecca about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and he's like I hate to break it to you, Rebecca, but those children are dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's just, uh, he's fantastic, and I would definitely watch a Higgins spinoff. Yeah. A Higgins spinoff with the basketball coach from New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, I yeah. did cry during
2: the finale. I do care about these characters very deeply over the past few years, and it's not like the show was unbearable to watch. It was just, Yeah, I think, you know.
0: yeah. I really think it just. I did laugh many times yes, during season. Yes, me too. I honestly think the show suffers from having just such a good first season yeah. that people freaked out over. It became the sensation of Apple TV Plus. It won all of the Emmys, and and then it just couldn't match that. And it it wasn't awful; like it, it was still watchable television with solidly created characters, but it just could never reach those season one highs. And and I think that's why we are being so critical of it because we all loved season one so much thank you for joining us on this episode of chaos on the set we'll definitely be back in your earbuds more regularly i know we've had some weird breaks but i'm almost done moving and things will be better going forward uh but mike do you want to tell people where they can find you online
1: yes you can follow me on letterboxd at m riccardi and that's it
0: <laughs> ted lasso <laughs> season three wasn't good enough for you to share her no Twitter. <laughs> all right kate what's up
2: You can find me on Twitter at Kate underscore Wyatt. I also have a letterbox, but Michael said that if I tried to share it with you guys, he would punt a soccer ball at my face and break my
0: nose, so I can't share it. That storyline with Danny being super weird also did not really. (laughs) I liked it. I liked it. it. I liked. I liked Danny. It just, Danny just continues to be a caricature, which bothers (laughs) me. Like, I wish he was a full character, but whatever. Shreya, where can people find you online? (laughs) You can find me on Letterboxd at Marate3. You can find me on Letterboxd at Shruti Marate. You can follow me on Twitter at Marate, And then you can follow the show. We're on Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram on all three. We are at Chaos on the Set.